0: Hi again everybody, I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The, wherever you go, whatever you do, I will be right here waiting for you, edition. Yes, the wait is over, as Dave Lapham joins me for what is typically the most downloaded episode of this podcast each year as we discuss what we would do and then predict what the Bengals will do in our final episode before the draft. And before we get to that, it's what you would do as I share the results of my highly unofficial Bengals fans consensus mock draft. The Bengals Booth podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since Dave Lapham's In the Trenches podcast. My broadcast partner is so modest that I didn't even know until last week that he started doing his own podcast in January, and it's awesome. It's an interview format, and Lap's guest list is impressive, including Bengals legends like Boomer Esiason, Chris Collinsworth, Isaac Curtis, and Andrew Whitworth. I learned all sorts of good nuggets in his conversation with Big Wit, including the fact that after having knee surgery in Los Angeles, Joe Burrow watched NFL games on some Sunday afternoons on the couch at Whitworth's house. I binged through six episodes last week and they were all great, so check out the In the Trenches podcast with Dave Lapham. Now, let's get to the draft. I conducted an interesting project on Twitter last week in an attempt to produce the consensus mock draft of Bengals fans. I asked my Twitter followers to go to any mock draft simulator and make Cincinnati's picks in the first four rounds with no trades allowed. That would have made things too complicated. Then, I asked them to take a screenshot and send me the results. 355 people responded in the first 24 hours. That's a pretty good sample size. And here are the unscientific results. With a fifth pick of the 2021 NFL Draft, Cincinnati Bengals fans select Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. Based on the Twitterverse, Bengals fans are overwhelmingly Team Chase. Jamar received 236 out of 355 first-round votes. That's a two-thirds supermajority. Panay Sewell received 94 votes. That's 26%. Kyle Pitts received 21, a paltry 6%. One UC fan opted for Bearcats offensive lineman James Hudson. I'm pretty sure he was joking. With the 38th pick of the 2021 NFL Draft, Cincinnati Bengals fans select Alex Leatherwood, offensive lineman, Alabama. Since more than 70% of you selected a receiving target in round one, either Chase or Pitts, it makes sense that the top five vote-getters in the second round were all offensive linemen, led by Leatherwood, who played left tackle the last two years at Alabama, but might be better suited to play guard in the NFL. The Bengals' second round pick is 38th overall. Leatherwood checks in at number 34 on Dane Bruegler's big board and number 40 according to Pro Football Focus. He did not make Daniel Jeremiah's top 50. Bengals fans that selected Panay Sewell in round one typically went for a wide receiver in round two, and the leading vote getter was Elijah Moore of Ole Miss, who received one more vote than Terrace Marshall of LSU. Elijah Moore is 35th on the Dane Brugler board, 22nd according to Pro Football Focus, and 38th on Daniel Jeremiah's top 50. Judging by that, Moore would be a good pick at number 38. Terrace Marshall is 28th according to PFF, 37th on Daniel Jeremiah's list, and 48th on the Brugler big board. With the 69th pick of the 2021 NFL Draft, Cincinnati Bengals fans select Milton Williams, defensive tackle, Louisiana Tech. Williams is a little undersized for a tackle at 284 pounds, but he is a great athlete who ran a 4'640 at that size. He is 70th on the Brugler board and number 73 according to PFF, so that's just about right for the Bengals' third round pick, number 69 overall. With the 111th pick, Of the 2021 NFL Draft, Cincinnati Bengals fans select... Kendrick Green, offensive guard, Illinois. Green was a three-year starter for the Fighting Illini and a second-team All-American this year. He's 68th on the PFF board and 84th, according to Dane Brugler, so that would appear to be an excellent fourth-round selection, if available, at number 111 overall. It's notable to me that the Bengals' fans' four-round mock draft does not include a pass rusher. I would be surprised if that's the way it plays out. In fact, I wouldn't rule out a pass rusher in the second round if somebody slides that they have a first-round grade on. And Dane Brugler has five edge rushers in his top 32. I have a hard time imagining they won't take one, in the first four rounds. But based on 355 of you, the Bengals fans' consensus mock draft in the first four rounds goes Jamar Chase, Alex Leatherwood, Milton Williams, and Kendrick Green. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now, without further ado, it's time for my final pre-draft podcast with Dave Lapham. Lab Bengals fans are split into three camps. Alphabetically, Team Chase, Team Pitts, Team Sewell. But I want to start with a fourth possibility. Could trading down still be possible? Or lo and behold, could they actually draft somebody else?
1: <laughs> I think trading down is, is a possibility. But I think it's getting more and more remote. Because I think they are down to a big three of, uh, of, of choices. And if they're going to trade back, I don't think they want to trade back much further than eight to make sure they don't lose any one of those three. You know, you don't want to trade back and and give up on a on a guy who could have such a huge impact on the football team. Um, but you know, the the thought of three of the top 40 plus players in the draft, four of the top 60 plus players in the draft, you know, has some appeal. Um, but again, you, you, you've you've gotten to the fifth pick in the draft in the first pick the year before for a reason. And it's a tough, tough reason, reasons. You don't want to go through that anymore. So if there's there's a guy that you feel comfortable with, and I think there's probably more than one guy they feel comfortable with, that could be a difference maker with that fifth pick in the draft. You stay and pick. And um, I think that guy should be a candidate for rookie of the year should be a candidate for the Pro Bowl, should be a candidate for those type of things. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be just a, a, a starter, you know, necessarily. First and foremost, he better be a contributor, starter as such. But, you know, I, I think you're hoping that, uh, like Joe Burrow was, first pick of the draft, rookie of the year candidate until the injury. And, and that's, that's what you're looking for with the fifth pick of the draft as well. All right,
0: we are going to get to your prediction. People always want to know who you predict the Bengals are going to go. We'll do that at the end of this conversation, but I want to get to our preference. Who would
1: you like to see them pick, number five overall? I guess guess as a former lineman, I'd like to see them pick Sewell because all I'd have to do as a teammate of Joe Burrow is look at his scar and say, (laughs) Whoa, that's ugly. How how did that happen? Well, it happened because he didn't get good protection up front. And it wasn't just off the edge. It was in the middle of the offensive line. The offensive line just has to get better, period. And I think that this draft is very deep in offensive linemen, which could say, you know, you could say, well, you don't necessarily have to take Sewell. There are guys that could help the Bengals and maybe all the way to the third round. And I agree with that. Um, But at receiver, I mean, there's – there's other receivers besides Chase that could help the Bengals. The key is, how much of a drop-off is there from Sewell to Slater to whoever else, as opposed to Chase to the number two receiver, whoever else, how big of a drop-off is there? Because you're not just worried about the fifth pick, you're about worried about the entire draft. So where's the, where's the depth by position? When is the run going to be made on that depth in that position? So as you're as you're contemplating not just the fifth pick, But the the first pick in that second round, which is another high draft pick, what will be there? Do you think there will be more offensive linemen to choose from than receivers of a high caliber or the other way around? That might influence what I do with that uh, first pick of the draft potentially. But bottom line, Dan, is in my opinion, there's more of a shortage of offensive linemen in the NFL than wide receivers on a team-by-team basis. And it's simple math. You have five guys. Of the 11, it's almost 50%. So you have to come up with five solid guys and hopefully a star in there somewhere to protect your quarterback. And then next would-be receiver. You know, they go three wides. So that's three elevenths of it. So, you know, you're getting to over a quarter. But the offensive lineman, there's everybody that plays basketball in high school, for example, that's not going to get a college basketball scholarship, they play football and play wide receiver. I mean, there's so many more bodies Playing wide receiver at every level of football, then there are, are you know solid offensive linemen playing at every level of football. Because number one, it's not a glamorous position. Oh man, I got to play in the line. That sucks. I don't want to play in the line. Everybody wants to play receiver, score touchdowns, and you know that's that's where touchdown makers are made. And, and Chase is certainly a touchdown maker. But it's it's such a big need league wide that if you can if you can come up with a guy that is going to be potentially projected to be a really really good player I find it hard to resist to to go there
0: I'm with you I've been and I remain a card-carrying member of Team Sewell did a lot of research into uh, trying to determine why I feel that way the other day here's a few things that I came up with in Tom Brady's playoff run last year so not the Super Bowl but the four playoff games that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played in he was hit 16 times. 16 times in four games, four times per game. Joe Burrow got hit 18 times in week three by the Philadelphia Eagles last year and sacked eight. He was sacked 32 times in his nine and a half games. That was still top 10 in the NFL. He was hit more than 70. And just remember how devastated we were, how gutted we felt seeing him on the back of that cart in Washington in the 10th game. I never want to see that again. Then, I look at Panay Sewell and I'm no expert, I don't claim to be at grading tape, but I see a 331 pound man who looks like he's felt. I have never seen anybody at his size move like that. Furthermore, people want to talk about the arms, 33 and a quarter inches, a little less than you would like, I suppose. He doesn't turn 21 until the second week of October His arms actually might still be growing. I mean, I don't know how much you grow after the age of 20, but it's possible. As a 19-year-old sophomore, he won the Outland Trophy as the nation's best offensive lineman. He did not surrender a single sack in 13 games. He earned pro football Focus's highest grade ever, for a tackle in a Power 5 conference. I do think there are going to be starters available in the offensive line in round two, maybe round three. There's no doubt in my mind they can get a competent offensive lineman, but that's not what I want at this point. I want a star. When they went to the Super Bowl twice in the 80s, Anthony Munoz was the left tackle. When they went to the playoffs six times in seven years, beginning in 2009, Andrew Whitworth was the left tackle. I want to maximize the possibility of getting a guy like that to start at one of the tackle spots for the next ten years,
1: right? And and if he does in fact have to play guard initially, I'm okay with that too, because you're not going to bull rush that big beast. You know, Andrew Whitworth played guard initially before he went out to play at the left tackle position, and uh, and and now left tackle, those were the you mentioned Anthony Munoz and Andrew Whitworth, the two best left tackles in franchise history, and the proof's in the pudding by the stats that you talked about. I mentioned the same thing uh, in, in quite a few podcasts that I've done uh, around the country that two Super Bowls with Anthony in the 80s, five straight playoff appearances with Witt in the you know, in the Marvin Lewis era, those are the two best left tackles. Pene Sewell, I agree with you. Some guys are out of proportion. He is totally proportioned. He's big everywhere. And I can, I can speak... From playing against Samoans, he's originally from the island of Samoa. These guys are like rooted trees. You can't move them. When they when they decide to hunker down, they are literally an immovable object. Their knees were over their ankles, their hips were over their knees, and man, they got knee bend, and it's like, whoa, man, trying to move some of these big Samoan defensive tackles was a chore, man. I'm telling you, it was like slept good that night because you were dead tired. And not only that is the, the, what we're talking about with the size and the balance that leads to balance. Obviously, the first thing I remember about Anthony Munoz was he filled the doorway. He had big, big hair at, at that stage <laughs> when he was drafted, and he literally filled the doorway. We weren't out in the field though. He looked like a 205 pound defensive back with the sweet feet, the lateral movement, and the foot court. That's what this guy does. Mm-hmm. This guy has that th- those kind of sweet feet. So. Yeah, I think he's I think he's rare. Now, can you nitpick? Yeah, you can nitpick everybody. You can nitpick everybody and anybody, but I do think that uh, again, reference in the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes hard to hard to beat Patrick Mahomes when you run a feeder life. What happened? The offensive line got beaten up, so therefore, in the Super Bowl, the quarterback had no shot. Even the great Patrick Mahomes trying to. I mean, he was Kreskin making some of the throws that he made, literally. And even he couldn't get it done. So you you need guys up front.
0: He was pressured on 29 of 56 dropbacks in the Super Bowl. He ran scrambling around trying to find an open receiver for 497 yards. That was measured on GPS, so that's not just, you know, a joke. 497 yards running around. 96.4 million people watched the Super Bowl last year. At times, I wonder if any of them lived in Cincinnati (laughs) because that was the ultimate lesson for no matter how good your quarterback is or your weapons. Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, if you don't have protection, you can't get it done, and they did not score a touchdown in the Super
1: Bowl, the mighty Kansas City Chiefs. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's simple to me. You know, people are going to say, all right, chicken or the egg, and and if if they draft Chase, I won't go nuts, but I I, I probably won't agree, but I won't go nuts. I mean I, I can see the I can make a case for drafting any of them, Pitts, Chase, or Sewell. I can, you can anybody can make a good case. Right. They are all three difference makers in different ways, um, but to me, <laughs> you have to have a good offensive line before your weapons can operate. If you don't have a good offensive line, it doesn't matter what you have for weapons. It doesn't matter if you have pro bowlers across the board, future Hall of Famers across the board. If your offensive line is is not up to snuff, you're going to struggle. The
0: reason why I'll be okay with it if they go for Chase or Pitts is when I look at the draft as rounds one and two versus just round one. Because I do wonder when I do mock drafts and draft simulators and stuff like that, if the overall value of – receiver weapon first lineman second is greater than the overall value of lineman first weapon second
1: i agree that's that's what i was referencing in terms of the overall depth of you know what would be available to you um with that next next selection so instead of tunnel vision just at five you know you're thinking first second and even third round you're gonna have three of the top 60 some odd picks you know, in the entire draft, and what's what's the best order, the best way to do that, and that's what they're going through right now, is uh, stacking their board by position, and then the big board, and they're probably still in the process as we do this podcast, of doing that sort of thing. So um, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see what what they do decide. And uh, you know, I mean, Pitts, it, you look at you look at him, I mean, he's a he's a weapon to me. I, I don't even look at him as a tight end. I look at him as an ex-receiver because you go three receivers and you put him all by himself in one-on-one situation, and who's going to cover that big bad boy <laughs> at 6'5 at plus, around 250 pounds, running four fours with an 82-inch wingspan? Mm-hmm. So when he's covered, he's open one-on-one. I mean, so, so you have matchup problems. And then if you decide to go nickel – he's a willing blocker I'm not gonna say he's close to dominant you know' I, he's, he's maybe slightly less than solid but he's willing so run the ball and then if you don't go nickel spread him out and put him in a matchup so now you have now you have uh, you punch and making them counter punch instead of the other way around you're looking for something from a weapon standpoint to give you an advantage to punch them and they're like oh stack now they have to counter and can you know in, in a situation with pitts, Maybe you can't make the right call. You know, whatever your answer is, they have an answer for the answer because of the mismatch that he gives uh, from a physical standpoint. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't look at him necessarily as a tight end. I don't. You know, I, I I think he's a he's a true hybrid. But I look at him as more of a a receiver than a than a, than a tight end.
0: Darren Waller.
1: Yeah, Darren Waller. I I think that when I I'll go back to Kellen Winslow senior. What what Don Coryell was doing with Kellen Winslow Senior back when we beat him in the Freezer Bowl and when they were good uh, with the, that 49ers, air Coryell with with uh, Charlie Joyner and and you know players like that he was he was a receiver he wasn't a tight end that, that that dude was a big receiver that caused everybody mismatch problems
0: and he could still be growing he was born three days before Panay Sewell. let's move on to the next topic let's just say. They take our advice and select Sewell number five, leaving leaving a need for a deep threat at wide receiver. Give me three names you like in round two, and they don't necessarily have to be wide receivers. You might want an an edge rusher or whatever, but but give me three names for round two.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd probably go wide receiver. um, And my wide would be Diami Brown from North Carolina. I like uh, I like him. He's got decent size, six feet, about 190 pounds. Still runs in the mid four fours. He's got you know some some decent length to him as well. In 24 games, 106 catches, uh, over 2100 yards, 2133 yards, 20 touchdowns, on uh, average over 20 yards per reception. I I think I think he's he's a dynamic guy. I think he he'd be somebody. One of the things that 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 I like about Joe Burrow, and obviously what Joe Burrow likes about Chase, is they've done it together. They've already done it. And at LSU, in that offense that they ran with Joe Brady, that was a pro-style offense with pro-style concepts that the Bengals have adapted a lot into their scheme. And in 2019, Joe Burrow and Chase hooked up for ridiculous numbers. I mean, Chase's numbers are still SEC records. I mean, it's, it's, it's stupid. His, uh, his numbers are, uh, eight, let's see, 84 catches, 1,780 yards, 20 touchdowns. The yards and the touchdowns are SEC record still. Averaged over 21 yards a catch. So they're well coached. Um, they're well trained. They know each other. Cold. Um, that all translates to the NFL. When you're scouting a guy like Chase – and the routes that he's run against SEC corners, which are NFL corners, and the production all translates well to the National Football League. And Joe Burrow's the one that was thrown on the rock. And then he, he opted out this year. But in, in a year where the union's saying, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do much in the offseason, you may have a mini camp, you know, and go to training camp. How much of an edge would it be for Joe Burrow to already have all of that advanced work with Chase? He's not working with a guy he's never been with before. He's not thrown to a guy that I've never thrown to. This guy, I don't know what his gates like. I don't know how far I have to throw the deep ball for him to make plays. That's all. That's all done. That's already all there. So that's why I wouldn't be totally disgusted if they took Chase. That's a big, big factor in my mind. It's it's actually a tiebreaker in my mind, honestly, you know. But so here's here's another guy that I go with. And following that 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 line of thinking. Terrace Marshall, LSU, 6'2", 205, 4440. long, you know, 78 and an eighth uh, wingspan, almost 33-inch arms, length to his arms. I mean, in 19 games, 94 catches over 1,400 yards, uh, 23 touchdowns, 15-yard average. He's a player. He can run. He can stretch the field. Another guy would be Rashad Bateman, kid from Minnesota. Uh, You know, I, I think he's... He's a possibility. Um, his numbers are are pretty good. And, and six feet, one hundred and ninety pounds, four four forty as well. I mean, there's that's what that's what I'm saying. in my mind. There's a lot of guys. <laughs> there's there's a lot of receivers, but you can probably say you can say the same thing for offensive linemen. There are a lot of offensive linemen. You can see in in my mind, Dan. Everybody's saying this is a great draft for offensive linemen. I think it's a great draft for guards. I think some of these tackles are guards because you know you're you're drafting a goose to play tackle, but physically you might be drafting a duck and a duck ain't a goose so <laughs> so they may have to kick inside to play guard a little bit you know in in terms of arm length in particular a lot of these guys are under in my mind thirty three inches is that's about the break break point if you're under thirty three inches and and if you're if you've already always had short arms and have been able to overcome it Normally you'll have extraordinary balance because now you're in a phone booth and the guy can't get you off your feet. But if you have short arms and not great balance, you're cooked. You're, you're in big trouble. So the guys with short arms have some other physical talent that compensates for the lack of one thing. They have something else that they've learned to employ that uh, makes up for it. But, um, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be very interesting. I, I, I'd be happy with any, any three of those guys. You know, I'm not sure that I'll be there in the second round. And some of the linemen you think might be there in the second round aren't. Because when the coaches start doing the evaluating, you know, along with the GMs and everything, now it's a different animal than the draft analysts and everybody doing their evaluations.
0: So I wrote down three names as well. For second-round picks that I like, if they select Sewell in round one, one of my three names was one of the guys you mentioned, Diami Brown, the wide receiver out of North Carolina, had more than 50 catches each of the last two years and averaged more than 20 yards per catch each season. So, obviously, he would bring that deep threat. I wrote down Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, a little bit smaller than I would like, 5'9", 178, a little bit gadgety there, but just such an explosive weapon, 4'3", 5'40". Fastest three cone drill of any of the wide receivers. The Patriots always put a lot of stock into that. Had nearly 1,200 receiving yards last year. Don't know if he'll be there in round two, but I wrote down that name. And then I did write down one edge rusher that I think probably would be there uh, when the Bengals select 38th overall in the second round. Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest, six three, two seventy four, ran a four five nine forty. Had 11 sacks a couple of years ago at uh, Wake Forest, so that would be a scenario where okay, there's still a lot of wide receivers left. We're going to get our edge rusher and then take a wide receiver in round three. That's why I wrote down the name Carlos Basham.
1: Yeah, I, I like a guy that you saw, a Peyton Turner. I'm not sure that might be a little rich. He's like a two, maybe a, he might be there for them in the third round. But I Basham's a guy that I've got in my notes as well. But this kid out of Houston's a little bit bigger. Six five plus two seventy um he's got uh uh thirty five uh thirty five inch arms that's long he's long he's long and strong he's got good feet ten and a quarter hands he gets those hands on you he's he's really good with his hands and he's got multiple moves the rip the swim the spin he's he's pretty advanced eighty four inch you know overall wingspan my gosh you know they talk about um Having an 82-inch wingspan, which is crazy for a tight end, but this this big dude, 84-inch wingspan. I mean, he's going to be back in the can lever, the back of your shoulder pads before you can even even realize it. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be uh, the least bit disappointed if they go with a good edge guy in the second round as well. I I think we're in agreement that the three big needs are offensive line, uh, wide receiver, and, and edge rush. Those those are the three. However, order. They go. I'd like to see those three things be addressed early, and then double down. You know, go go. O line, defensive line, and and Dan, running backs are always you know undervalued. Really good running backs going to be there in the fifth, sixth round. If you got to get another running back to get in the mix with sure. G- with Gio departing, you can get you can find guys. That's even more so than the wide receiver position, and they're devalued. They're not as valuable as wide receiver. So you know, and it's strange, too, quarterbacks. These guys, I mean, everybody's going to be drafting a quarter. The first three picks, obviously, we're thinking are going to be quarterbacks. What It's going to be interesting to me. Will Atlanta go with the fourth option at quarterback and overpay, you know, to, 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 to draft that guy? Or will they take the best non-quarterback in their mind, you know, in the draft? And then after that quarterback run, they all get pushed back. So you're going to – and people are like – yeah, well, boy, the quarterbacks drafted early, a lot of them bust, because they're overdrafted. They have guys that should have been drafted in the second and third round going in the top ten in some cases. And then the guys that go that, that slide because, you know, now they're, oh, they, they weren't in the first five or six, they stink. Get them in the fourth to sixth round, these guys can play. They have good NFL careers. So it's like real, real early, or ugh, and you can get yourself a nice bargain on one later.
0: All right, let's go to the next scenario. They take either Chase or Pitts, number five overall. So now we're looking at an offensive lineman in round two. Who are some of the guys that you like that you think have a, a decent chance of being there at number 38 overall?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've got some interest in a guy, and in, in, I've heard conflicting reports, but I've heard more reports that maybe this guy might not be there early in the second round, Walker Little out of Stanford i think this guy six seven plus 315 pounds very athletic for as tall as he is his arms aren't super long 33 and three quarters but you know long enough is his reach is 81 and three quarters so he has some some overall length to him but his problem is he got hurt early in 2019 and opted out in 2020 you know you, you gotta you got to go back to 2018 to get tape on him and, and get a solid evaluation, but he has gotten bigger and stronger. He's, he's an incredible athlete, though, and, and a lot of these linemen this year, man, their grandfather, their father, their brothers, their uncles, their cousins, they all played in the NFL. A lot of these guys have huge bloodlines. Slater's dad played in the NBA. You know, he's got really good feet, and you, know, you can see why the genetics are there. For his dad to, be, you've played in the NBA, as you know, Dan, you you've got to be a decent athlete, man. Big body guys that can run and short space quickness and cut and all those sorts of things. So I, I, I like him. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure he'd be there, but and then, and then some people would probably say, ah, you know, that that's too big a risk because you know now you got to go to 2018 to really evaluate the tape. But if you're an athlete, you're an athlete, you know. So I don't know. I, I, I like him. Eichenberg from Penn State has a little bit of appeal to me, you know, um, but his arms less than 33 inches, so I think he's more of a guard. They, I'm sure he's he's over he's compensated for his short arms. His hands aren't real big. His reach is under 80 inches. He's not he's six six, but he's not long with that six six. But he's athletic, you know, and he's 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 a, he's a very good football player. Played at a high level of football. Uh, Dylan Reduns, who got player of the week and practice player of the week at the, at the Senior Bowl. I like that kid, over six five, over three hundred pounds, and he's got some length. His arms are thirty four inches. He's over eighty inch reach. Uh, North Dakota State, you know, is a good program of the small schools. I like Aaron Banks a little bit too uh, from Notre Dame as a guard. I, I, I like him inside. I also like Landon Dickerson. I know he's got, I know he's got some uh, some injury issues that he's dealing with, but I like him because he's a he's one of those guys that is a leader. You know, he, he's he has one of these unbelievable attitudes and he kind of lifts the whole, the whole room, the whole offensive line room. And, and to me, if they can get a starting guard, I w I wouldn't have a a tremendous issue with that. Um, and, and, you know, in, in my mind, I still think Fred Johnson has some potential. I still think identity has some potential. When I look at Fred Johnson and I look at identity, I'm thinking, they've got what you're going to get in the third or fourth round maybe even the second round. They've got potential. Now can Frank Pollock get it out of them? I think he can. So in my mind, I think those guys can really make a jump from last year to this year, year one to year two for identity. And Fred, Fred just has to you know, understand the game's got to be more important to him than it is. And I think Frank Pollock may help that along a little bit.
0: I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in offensive line play, but the Athletic came out with a consensus big board where basically they took 50 or more than 50 big boards from all the various draft gurus out there and then combined them to produce, you know, a 1 through 300 order based on all of these people out there studying the draft. So the Bengals have the 38th pick, that's their pick in the second round. Alex Leatherwood from Alabama came in at 38 on the consensus board. Samuel Cosme from Texas, 39. Eichenberg, whom you mentioned, 47. Radance, if that's how it's pronounced, from North Dakota State, 46. So those are the kinds of guys that are likely to be there when they are selecting in the second round if they go for a weapon in the first so there's going to be somebody right around that you know 38 on the consensus big board uh, that'll be there let's go a little bit deeper into the draft rounds three and beyond so this is a real wild card for us three players any position that you like rounds three and beyond
1: I I like a kid from right up the road in Miami of Ohio Hmm. an offensive lineman a tackle uh, fourth round probably no earlier than that Six uh, eight, three hundred and twenty pounds. He's got an eighty three and seven eighths wingspan, and he's got a thirty five and an eighth reach. Ooh. So he's a big, Hello. long, tall, athletic kid. Tommy Doyle is his name, and I, I, he looks like to me like he's a pretty good football player. Now, would he need to be developed? You know, in the max, obviously not the level of football that uh, other other guys would have competed in. But I, but I like him uh, from the third round on. Um, Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, another big tackle, 6'8, 311, who's got a uh, almost a 35 inch wing, uh, uh, reach, 34 and 3 quarters, an 82 and a half inch wingspan. You know, n- another guy that's both long, tall and long, and hopefully long and strong. Uh, Dante Smith out of East Carolina, a big guy that uh, I think has some, he's, he's 85 inches on his wingspan. 85 inches. That's, that's crazy. I mean, that's that's some of the linemen that I like. Uh, I like a uh, – I'm not sure if he'll be there for the fourth round. I think he's going to be no later than a third-round guy. I'm not sure if he's as early in the third round as the Bengals are picking. But Dale O'Day-Yingbo o- from Vanderbilt, is that how you say it? If they it?
0: pick him, we'll know how to say yeah. it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Dale – my good buddy Dale from Vanderbilt, 6'5", 285, another guy that's got some size on the edge there. His, his wingspan's 86 and 3 I mean, geez, 35 and a quarter arm, arm length, and, and he's got some athleticism, you know, to go with it. I, I, a guy like that, I think, would be would, would, would be some added value. Uh, I, I could see that.
0: All right, here are a few names I wrote down for round three and beyond, keeping in mind that the Bengals' third-round pick will be number 69 mm-hmm. overall. Defensive tackle Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech. Six three two eighty four, a little smaller than you would like, but ran a four six forty with a thirty eight and a half inch vertical at two hundred eighty four pounds. Had ten sacks two years ago, the last time he played a full season. And every time I do a, uh, a draft mock simulator on one of these websites, yeah. he is always available in round three. Uh, he came in number eighty nine on the consensus top three hundred board, so he's almost certainly going to be there in the third. Could be there in round four. Milton Williams would be a name to remember. I wrote down Jordan Smith from UAB as an edge rusher. Now, there's a a character issue from early in his college career. Started out at Florida, got suspended for a credit card incident, wound up leaving, went to junior college, wound up at UAB. But he's in the mode of edge rushers that the Bengals have historically gone after because he's tall and lean with a chance to put on weight 6'6". 255, had 10 sacks a couple of years ago at UAB. Then I'm going to throw in a running back that I got to see, Uh calling UC games, Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis. He probably would not be there after round four at the earliest, so that might be earlier than the Bengals want to go for a running back. But two years ago, the last time he played for Memphis, he was unbelievable—1,400 rushing yards, 600 receiving yards. UC couldn't stop him. Uh, so I'll just throw in that name as a possible running back: Kenneth Gainwell.
1: I've heard he's outstanding out of the backfield. I mean, Correct, a huge threat out of the backfield. I, you know, I've heard a lot of a lot of teams throwing his name out there uh in 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 that type of that type of scenario it is interesting it's 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 going to be an interesting uh interesting day interesting draft honestly you know there's there's always going to be and and how different the board that you talked about the consensus board of all of the draft analyst gurus and then if you take a consensus board of the of the teams with their personnel departments and in the Bengals case with the coaches you know evaluating and grading because as we know Dan this ain't no science. It's it's no so opinions are huge, and and there's going to be all kinds of different opinions on you know where to where to rate guys, where to stack guys, and uh, and it's, it's I don't know. It, it, in my mind, I think the the other thing to consider in that first round is sixty percent of the time, linemen get a second contract drafted in the first round. It's like twenty five percent for receivers, so, something like that. Mm. It's less than half. Um, which you can understand you can make a, a quicker a quicker decision on if a guy's a bust or not at receiver than potentially at the at the offensive line position, but um, so there 's so many factors that that go into the evaluation process but and the other thing dan I, I think every round I would be listening to my phone, not just the first round because you have a high pick every round so if if there 's a run on on um, a position that that you've you've got a need for or whatever highly rated it's like all right well i'm not going to get a guy that i really fits my need as well as where he is on the board why don't i move back and get back to this spot where there's better chance for me to hit more so need and evaluation of rank of player and pick up an extra pick to boot so teams that have that need for the the player that you, you don't you know Every round they're going to be at a high spot in that in that round of the draft where they may get a phone call. And it's like, yeah, well, that makes some sense. I'll take an extra fourth, you know, to move back to the middle of the third round instead of uh, the fifth pick of the third round. And then I still am right where I need to be to get my on my third round board. These guys are gone, but these guys, I, I can get them. Still 15, 16, 17, 18 instead of, you know, number five. So – I, I think I think they're in an advantageous position, you know, all three days of the drafts from that regard.
0: All right. We've reached the moment of truth, the Dave Lapham prediction. Historically, more often than not, you nail it. 2012, the world said they were taking David DeCastro. You correctly said they would draft Kevin Zeitler. The next year, nobody was talking about Tyler Eifert because the Bengals already had Jermaine Gresham. You said they would take the Notre Dame tight end. 2014, you nailed Darquez Dinard. 2017, you nailed John Ross. 2018, Bengals fans got mad at you because you said, Frank Ragnow, the Lions took him one pick before the Bengals, and people somehow think they took him because you predicted it. Like the Lions don't have a scouting department. He's turned out to be a great player. Uh, So let's get to your prediction. The Bengals are on the clock. We know quarterbacks have gone one, two, three. Who do you think the the Bengals wind up taking at number five?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a good chance that uh, Arthur Smith takes Pitts. I think that Matt Ryan can play still, you know, and it's like, all right, well, the Falcons, uh, they probably won't be in the top five or they don't want to be in the top five. So maybe they do try to take their next quarterback to develop uh, after Matt Ryan. And I can understand if they would, but man, to me, I don't know, I think, I think that's an overreaction. Uh, maybe they trade back. You know, that, that, the draft could start there. Maybe they trade back, and somebody is trading up for a quarterback uh, that doesn't have a Matt Ryan, or is trading up for Pitts. Or if Atlanta really likes Pitts, maybe they'll 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 take Pitts. But let's assume that Pitts is off the board. That Atlanta took Pitts, which I could see Arthur Smith doing, and having a nice chess piece, you know, to mess around with there. Uh, So the Bengals, in my mind, it's down to two animals, you know, and and they are, they're Martians, they're aliens. These these guys are freakazoids athletically. I mean, the the numbers that Chase put up, you know, four threes in the 40, um, uh, 11-foot broad jump, 42- or three-inch vertical. I mean, that's ridiculous. And when you watch him on tape, he throws guys around. I mean, when guys are trying to get their hands on him, he just like, you know, he dismisses them. He is so strong, so powerful. He attacks the football I mean he's he's a he's a gifted player and then all the reasons that we talked about um, his the familiarity between your franchise quarterback and chase is to me that's a big mm-hmm. big deciding factor that's a that's a big play and I, I, I'm I'm almost 50 50 I'll be honest with you I I'm almost 50 50 but I'm I am gonna go Sewell um, but I I would. It's like one in one A, and, and and I can can almost reverse them for the reasons that we talked about earlier in the podcast. That uh, you've, if you've got a chance to solidify your offensive line with a guy like him, and if he starts out inside a guard, so be it. Um, and that scar, of Joe Burrow, even though he's back to back to start right at the beginning of the regular season, don't want a scar on the other knee. You know, don't don't want him don't want him hit any more like that. And and I think in in my mind, probably there's better depth in the offensive line in the second round than there is wide receiver in the second round. I think that there's better. There's probably after after Chase and a couple of other couple of Alabama receivers. There's a big drop, and Sewell Slater, and then a big drop sooner. There's more guys. There'll be more guys in that second round. So if I start to talk myself into that, <laughs> I could see I could see going uh, Chase instead of uh, instead of Sewell. But I'll probably, as a former lineman, I'll probably stay with the Penny Sewell choice and, uh, and, and and roll roll with that.
0: All right. Well, I'll have to go the other way then, just to be different. I'll predict that they'll take Chase. I do think the Burrow to Chase factor is huge. And I thought this description of Chase was right on the money. He looks like a fullback but runs like a wide receiver. I mean, as strong as you can be, and yet ran that four three eight forty at his pro day. Uh, Joe Burrow did not have much success throwing the deep ball last year, and I think that was because of the targets, not because of Joe Burrow. To have that guy that can take the top off the defense and force the safeties to respect that deep threat, uh, I, I just I have the feeling that's going to be the deciding factor. Chase in round one, offensive lineman in round two. But as we said at the very beginning, they can't go
1: wrong. They can't go wrong, and I'll go just like you. I, I could be talking to that so easily um, because you know I, I really am. I really am torn, split. It's not as clean cut as it was to me uh, before because th- this guy Chase is a freak. Is a freak in terms of pound for pound, the overall strength. Of uh, of Chase, is probably as good as they've had at LSU, and for him to just throw people around like he throws them around. But man, he, he, and you know, like I was talk, talking about before, they did sign Riley Reef. They still do have guys that they can they can work and develop. They did sign uh, quit, they did sign Spain inside, and I mean Michael Jordan. He should be a guy that you can develop. I mean he's got a lot of tools. Yeah, you know, do you give up on, on on Michael Jordan? It's not like they're they don't have anything in their offensive line. I'm going chase. <laughs> I could go chase so easily. I could go chase. But if he, if you had to pick between Chase and Pitts, what would you do? I'd take Chase. So would I. So would I. I would take Chase because it took to, Pitts to put him at the X. That's where I put Chase. I put Chase over there at the X and say. Go beat people up one on one, and he's when you watch him, he is so smooth in his route running. I mean, he's so fluid and so smooth. And I'm I'm not saying that uh, that Pitts isn't, but you know, he's he's not he's not a a true wide receiver like Chase is. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting, Dan. Very interesting. I wish we could pick them both. That'd be great.
0: (laughs) So do they? Unfortunately, that's not in the cards. All right. That was fun, and uh, we will do podcasts each night of the draft to uh, update you on everybody that the Bengals select. They've got an extra pick after trading Ryan Finley away, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Lap, that was awesome. Appreciate your time.
1: It was a lot of fun, Dan. Appreciate you. I will post podcasts to wrap
0: up each night of the draft that will be ready for your drive to work the next morning. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals booth podcast brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you've got a minute, give it a rating or share a comment that helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde. And thank you for listening to the Bengals booth podcast.